You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. When I bought my first iPhone years ago, I was very excited about the efficiency and immediacy of being able to handle email from my phone. Little did I know how much I would grow to resent it and hate it, but I digress. I got this phone and I was excited about being able to get a lot done on the go and it seemed like a great thing. But when I drafted my first email from my iPhone, I noticed that there was a default setting for my email signature that ended my email with sent from my iPhone. Now, I didn't think much of it at first. It it was no big deal. And I just continued to send these emails And at the end of every email, it said, sent from my iPhone. And after a while, this actually started to annoy me. It started to bother me. The the default setting started to, to bug me. I just never got the motivation to actually figure out how I could change it. But recently, I I got fed up with it. This is after years and years and years of being an iPhone user and sending countless emails with that default setting that says sent from my iPhone. Recently, I'm talking like in the last month, I finally, I've been using an iPhone since it first came out. This past month, I finally got motivated enough, I got sick and tired of the default, and I decided to go in and figure out, I looked up the information, I dug down and got online, and I figured out how to change the default setting. And I changed the default setting from sent from my iPhone to my favorite sign-off, grace to you. Now the default setting on my phone emails is grace to you. I've also realized that there's another default setting that bothers me. It's grumbling. It's grumbling. Most of the time, we, we don't even think much of it. Casual complaining is pretty much a part of our lives, isn't it? Personally, when we had our first child, that's when I began to get sick of it because I noticed that she was starting to act like me. And I would turn to her and say, why are you complaining? What could you possibly have to complain about? All the things that have been done for you. And then I started to get the message from the Lord, and so I just kind of backed away. It started to bother me when we had this new little person in our house. And just like I would manually go in and delete the scent from my iPhone after I got tired of it, I would manually go in and delete it, but I'd never actually got into the default settings. I would manually try to stop myself from from complaining. I would try to delete my complaining words even as I had a complaining heart. But after a while... I was reminded of the idea that the Lord doesn't just want us to delete our complaining, our grumbling in the moment every time. He actually wants to change our default settings. The Lord has to get into our heart, though, in order to change the default settings so that our our words are are no longer grumbling words, but words of grace. Are you a grumbler this morning? Are you, if you're honest, if... If we were to be able to take your words in the last month, would we find that you are a habitual complainer? 
a grumbler. This morning, I want to walk through this text and address this theme of grumbling. And I want us to take some lessons in a sort of bullet-pointed fashion as we just walk through this text. And, And I suspect that there is going to be conviction, but also good news this morning. And so let's Let's begin to walk through this text. The first thing I want you to see about grumbling is the context of grumbling, okay? The context of grumbling. In verses 15, or in in chapter 15, verses 22 through 27, uh, we are notified that, that Moses begins to lead Israel away from the Red Sea, uh, into their journey toward the promised land. And we're reminded as we're still in chapter 15, that they have just witnessed power and mercy beyond description. This is the context of their lives right now. The Lord has brought them out of Egypt with a mighty display of power. He's crushed their ruthless enemy. He was was good on his word that he would bring them out, and they sang and they danced and they celebrated it all. And now they're beginning their journey to the promised land, the land of milk and honey. And, And from this point on, all the way until Joshua 3, Israel will be in the desert. You need to know that about the Bible, these first five books of the Bible. All through the first five books, from this point on, through the rest of it, they are in the desert. And it's not till Joshua 3 that they get out of the desert. It's an important point. But they, they are on the other side of the sea. They're out of the grip of their enemy. And things were looking really good for the people of God. But three days into their journey, mark that, three days into their journey, The people wonder if they're going to die of thirst because they have found no water. They wonder, is God going to leave us to die out here? Is God even with us? Is God caring for us? Moses, what's the deal, man? We're thirsty, bro. They grumble later, immediately after, and he cries out to the Lord. Then, a few short verses later, immediately after that, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, We're placed about a month later, a month later, just one month after their miraculous rescue from Egypt, the people of Israel grumble against Moses and Aaron again because they're afraid that now they're going to starve to death. Okay. Now, in order to rightly understand the ugliness of grumbling, we have to appreciate that it happens in the immediate time frame of the Lord's unthinkable goodness to his people. We see in this story, I've said this through this series, but I'm going to say it again. We see through this story that it took the Lord four days to get Israel out of Egypt. And it's going to take more than 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. There's an inner slavery that they're experiencing. You know, we see through this text that you can want to know someone, and yet it can take them a really long time to want to know you back. You see this in the text. God wants to know his people, but it takes so long for them to want to know him back. It's in this context of grumbling. And all of our grumbling, friends, takes place in a similar context. Countless mercies, so much goodness, so many gifts, so much kindness and patience and fullness in our lives. And it's always in that context that our grumbling rises up. It's always in that context. And that, 
that juxtaposition, that, that contrast between what we have received and what we have experienced versus what we're grumbling about is always meant to make it a stark reality of how ugly the grumbling is because we can make peace with grumbling. We can make friends with it. This is the context of grumbling. But next, I want us to see the nature of grumbling. Now, I got to tell you that in the Bible, there are two kinds of complaining, okay? There are two kinds of complaining. In the Psalms, we see what we might call redemptive complaining. And redemptive complaining is a humble appeal to the Lord. It's coming to him, just like we did in our prayer, to lament that things are not the way they ought to be. It's coming directly to God with our broken heart and our frustrated dreams, and we're saying, help. I'm submitting to you as my father and my king, but things are not the way they are meant to be, and I'm calling on you, Lord. I'm calling on you. I'm pleading your promises. That's a redemptive kind of complaining, but that's very different from what we have here. What we have here is a rebellious complaining that chronically accuses the Lord. And this is the grumbling of the wilderness wandering. So listen, redemptive complaining humbly appeals to the Lord and leaves it in his hands in faith. Evil, rebellious complaining accuses the Lord chronically. What's wrong with you is the underlying tone. That's, that's the sense, the nature of grumbling in this text. Rebellious complaining, listen, puts a negative filter on all of life, only catching the difficult, the things that we feel threaten us, the disappointing, the frustrating, the annoying things we face, to the neglect of the goodness and the grace. It's, it's putting a negative filter. Are you good at catching all the bad things that happened today? While all of the goodness just passes you by, you don't even catch it? You don't even see it. You're, you're not attuned to it. And here's the thing. When you put this negative filter on life, when you neglect the goodness and the grace, it becomes chronic, and then it becomes a lens by which you see everything. That's why it becomes chronic. It becomes your lens. It's the only way you, you teach yourself how to see the world. You practice your way into chronic grumbling. That's it. You get good at it. I don't know about you. I, I think I got a PhD in grumbling. Mm. Let me stop preaching to myself. Let me preach. Let's talk about y'all. Let's talk about y'all. <laughs> Not only this, but here's the deal. Rebellious complaining deals in illusions. It deals in illusions. Mark that. Look at the text. Chapter 16, verse 3. And the people of Israel said to them, Moses and Aaron, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, they are accusing Moses and Aaron and, and the Lord of bringing them out to die. But this is pure fiction. It's revisionist history. But this is the nature of the grumbling heart. It deals in illusions. It deals in fiction. It fantasizes about life and slavery. It fans the flames of desire for the old life. And it casts clouds of suspicion over the Lord's ways in my current life. But here's the truth of the matter. Let's remember. The truth of the matter is found in the beginning of Exodus. They're singing about the glories of sitting around the meat pots in Egypt and eating bread to the full. 
And they're complaining that the Lord has brought them out into the desert to kill them. But let's remember the truth. Chapter 1, verse 11. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. Verses 21 through 22 of chapter 1. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Chapter 2, verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned against their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. This was what Egypt was really like. But because their hearts were grumbling hearts, they confused slavery with freedom and freedom with slavery. They treated their enemy as a friend and their truest friend like an enemy. This is what grumbling shows us about ourselves. We are quick to flip it in our confusion, in our illusions, in our fantasizing about the old life. The life that we feel like we, we have left and lost. It feels like a loss. Do you see this? Because of the grumbling stature of their hearts, they feel like Egypt was a loss. And, and they're not considering the, the infinite gain of being set free from slavery and heading on their way to the land of milk and honey. You know, Exodus 15 that we covered on Easter. Exodus 15 should have been the soundtrack playing behind every struggle that they faced in the desert. It should have been the soundtrack to contextualize, to make sense of, to stabilize them in the face of hardship. Every day on the other side of that sea was a gift from the Lord who accomplished a great rescue and had more than proven that he was trustworthy. But because they were well-practiced in grumbling, they could not see this. They could not discern it. That's the nature of grumbling. But what about the evil of grumbling? The evil of grumbling. Chapter 16, verse 8. Look at the text. The Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Look, we grumble about the weather. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too wet. It's too dry. We grumble about politics because we're more aware of who's sitting in the White House than who's sitting on the throne of heaven. We grumble about money when we feel like we got too little and the taxes take too much. We grumble about people who grumble. We grumble about our children, our spouses, our parents, our loud neighbors, irritating co-workers, and complete strangers. We grumble about bad traffic, long lines, slow waiters. We grumble about our church and all that it's not doing, even though we probably would be too busy to participate even if it was done. But all of this is symptomatic because all of this is one grand complaint against the Lord. Call it what it is. It's one grand complaint against the Lord. Contrary to the staggering evidence that is available to us, our grumbling says God is not good. God is not here. God does not care. God is not true to his word. God does not keep his promises. God is not available. God is not just. God is not kind. God is not right. It's divine slander born of unbelief. It's perjury. You perjure yourself every time you grumble. 
Because you grumble against a God who has laid down all the evidence you could ever hope for, proving his goodness, his faithfulness, that he's true to his word, that he's good to his people, that he's a sustainer, that he's a provider, that he's kind and gentle and patient and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You have all the evidence in your own life you could ever need, plus you have the scriptures and the lives of your friends in whom you can see countless mercies from the Lord. It's perjury. And what, what should we expect to get back for this evil? You know, the perjury is a crime. Even the American justice system recognizes that perjury is a crime. What should we get back for this evil? This heightens it because it's not just about you and your complaining heart. Your complaining heart is a grand commentary on God. It's about his character. It's about It's about what he's like and what your life and your words and your heart speaks of him. What should we expect to get back for this evil? What we're going to continually see through the story of God is that sinful people can expect the unexpected when they're dealing with God. They can expect the unexpected. And that brings us to the next next reflection, the Lord's response to grumbling. This is astonishing. Seriously. If I did something like this for you, and I caught you slandering me three days later, you don't even want to know what I'd do to you. (laughs) There wouldn't be be a weapon big enough for what I would do to you. There wouldn't be be a, a suffering horrible enough for what I would afflict on you if I caught you three days later. And then if I caught you after the three days, a month later after that, impugning me again, slandering me again, dragging my name through the mud, as as one hip-hop artist said it, you know, like, there were some people that were talking about him. He came to confront him, and he said to them, you better put some respect on my name. (laughs) Now, if you had disrespect to me, I feel the same way. Put some respect on my name. When my name is in your mouth, put some respect on it, right? This is what you could have expected God to do. You could have expected God to say, you know what? (sighs) Blow them into the sea. (laughs) I would have jacked their stuff up. I would have resurrected the Egyptians, (laughs) put them back in Egypt, and put Israel back in Egypt with them. I said, let's try this again. Don't give them no no straw. Don't, Don't give them nothing. Don't give them no dirt. Make them make bricks. If they had done that to me, but the Lord, thank God, is not like me. Look at what he does. He responds to their grumbling with grace. With grace. He doesn't abandon them. He doesn't give up on them. He doesn't strike them down and judge them. No, what he does is he brings miraculous provision. Throw a piece of wood into the bitter water and it'll become sweet. After that, I'll lead you to 12 springs, and I'll even throw some palm trees in, just for giggles. Just so you can see how I'm controlling these things. You know what? I'll rain down bread from heaven every morning and meat for the evening. I'm going to provide a two-course meal for you while you're in the desert. There ain't no hotels in this desert even providing that. I'm going to provide for you. And each one of you, notice the text, will collect Enough to be satisfied. 
In my provisions, there is always enough to be satisfied for the heart that wants to be satisfied in me. There's always, and you know what? I'm going to even provide enough for you to rest. Don't look over that one. Now, if you think you got to work the hours that you work and not rest, if you think that your work schedule is so important that you got to miss Sundays because you got stuff to do, the text is, is, is saying there's a problem with that. There's a problem with the restless heart because God always provides enough for his people to rest. And if you're not resting, it's not because God's not providing. It's because of something else that has to do with your brokenness of heart. We see this in the text. You see in the text that they won't have any need to hoard it. You see that in the text, right? Not, not only will they have no need to hoard it, they'll have no means of hoarding. Because God makes it, he makes it uh, get worms and rot. Now, what is God teaching his people? He's teaching his people to look to him in faith for daily bread. And to stop, to, he never wants them to get to the point where they trust their 401k. Where they trust their savings where they trust their financial planning. He wants them to look to him for provision and to know that he will provide, that he will not fail them. So every day, notice the text says, for 40 years, 40 years, every single solitary morning, they wake up with daily bread. You hear that? Every morning they wake up with enough. Do you know that when you belong to God, every morning you wake up with enough? Contrary to the lies that are playing in your ears, you wake up to enough. When you are God's people, you wake up to enough. When you have his promises, you wake up to enough. And it's only the lies of the evil one that tell you otherwise. You have enough because your father provides. And that's what we see in this text. Grace upon grace. His response to their grumbling is grace. He does it again and again and again and again. Like, like you would think that after a year of doing this, they'd be like, oh, he's going to provide. We don't, have, we don't need to grumble. There's no need to worry. But it, it didn't happen after a year. You think maybe after five years of waking up every morning, being provided for, seeing the, the bread from heaven and the quail in the evening, you would think that after all of those years that they would have faith and confidence. They would recognize the trustworthiness of the Lord. But they didn't, and neither do we. Time and time again, God shows up, and then shortly thereafter, we find ourselves grumbling. But it's a kindness of the Lord that he responds to grumblers with grace. He responds to grumblers with grace. The Lord sustained them in, by his grace in Egypt. The Lord led them by his grace through the pillar of fire. The Lord brings them out by grace through the sea. And now the Lord provides for them by grace. Their lives are marked by grace from top to bottom through and through. And this brings us to our final point for the morning. The end of grumbling. So by now, maybe... You didn't need all this extended teaching about grace. 
and grumbling. You already know that grumbling is jacked up. You already know that it's a mess. It's, it's just ugliness. It's bad. You already know that, and it was just brought to your radar again today. But the question is this. Do you want to keep just manually trying to delete it? Or do you want the system settings, the default setting to be changed? God has provided a way of changing the default settings. And in order to get to the heart where the default settings lie, we must see how this text takes us to Jesus. Because this, this text is all about Jesus. Israel's in the wilderness. And later on, hundreds of years later, Jesus will enter into the wilderness on purpose because he is going to be the true Israelite who trusts the Lord in the wilderness. And in that trusting of the Lord in the wilderness, he provides the righteousness that grumblers need before the Lord, the righteousness that he will give to us. And in fact, when it comes time to thinking about God's provision, Jesus will later say in the Gospel of John to the people who have gathered around him as he miraculously multiplies loaves and fish, you're looking for the wrong kind of nourishment, the wrong kind of food. I am the bread from heaven. Israel asked a question in the desert. When they looked at it, they said, what is it? What is this provision from God? And in the gospel, we get the answer. It's Jesus. He is God's heavenly provision. He is God's fountain of water that will never run dry. He, he meets the woman at the well. And he says, if you knew who was sitting beside you right now, you would ask me and you would have living water. She says, sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw with. And he's like, put some respect on my name. I am the water of life. He who comes to me will never thirst. Jesus is the good news of this passage. He is good news for grumblers. He is God's miraculous provision. And Jesus' cover of Exodus 15 should be the soundtrack playing behind every struggle that we face in this desert. Every day on this side of the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus is a gift to us. And it proves that God is so much more trustworthy than we could ever hope for him to be. How do you change the factory setting on your grumbling life? Three things I'll say. Communicate gratitude for past grace. Cultivate awareness for present grace. And anticipate future grace. Three things. Communicate gratitude for past grace. Verbalize it. Write it down. Make a practice of thanking him for all the good. Make a practice of looking for all the things you have to be thankful for. There was a Puritan who once was uh, robbed. And this is what he said about it. He reflected on it. He said, well, uh, I thank God that I had something to have stolen from me. I thank God that what he took can be replaced. And I thank God that I have something he could not take. It was something to that effect where he chose even gratitude in that, in that moment. He, cho he chose gratitude in a, in a surprising situation of loss. But you need and I need to communicate gratitude for past grace. 
It's sort of like an arms race between gratitude and grumbling. And if we look back, we will find more things to be thankful for than we will to complain about. So make that a practice. Second, cultivate awareness of present grace. What is God doing in your life right now that is so good and so undeserved and so full of mercy and goodness? I know you got hard things. I know you get stresses and strains. But don't make a practice of looking around for those things. Put a positive filter on. Put a, a gospel filter on your life. There's all kinds of good news in your life right now. The things that God is doing, the fact that you're not the person that you used to be, that you have community, people who love you and are, who are committed to you, that you have gainful employment, that you have God, that he is with you, that he hears your prayers, that your life is filled with his gifts and his goodness. Put that gospel filter on and cultivate awareness of present grace. Next, anticipate future grace. This has to do with your imagination, your sacred imagination. If all you ever do is imagine all the things that could go wrong, guess what that will do to you? It will mess you up. It will mess you up. It will steal your joy. It'll make you a deeply selfish person who only spends all the hours of their life doing things for yourself. Doing th and then when you spend all that time doing things for yourself, you practice selfishness. It always feels like a chore to do something for somebody else. It always feels like a chore to be simply Christian. And, and if, you, if you, you, you spend all your time imagining that the future is more dangerous than it actually is, then, then another, thing, another thing that this does to you is, is it, makes you, um, it makes you stingy. There's not enough for you to give away. You've got to secure you. It, it, it makes you greedy. It makes you slow to act when it comes time to participate in community life. It will actually make you pat yourself on the back for doing relatively little because your grid will get so thrown off. If you only anticipate the negative, it will corrupt your present right now. But if you can anticipate grace out there, it frees you up immensely now. It helps you to live in freedom now. You don't have to hoard. You don't have to spend all your time on yourself. You're free to give away. You're free to, you're, you're free to be present with people right now, to build friendships right now. What, what about when you find all of the, the, the reasons why parenting is just going to be a drag in the future? All the reasons to complain. Parents, any of y'all got any reasons to complain out there today? Okay, I'm the only one who's going to tell the truth. I'm bringing it up right now. You, what if you anticipated future grace for parenting and you didn't need to try and hammer your kids so hard now in hopes that they'll be better and give you a break later? Get, get their act together. What if, what if grace prevailed? What if your greatest mark on your kids was not to help them to get their act together right now, but to teach them what it looks like to resist the grumbling life and to embrace a life of gratitude. How might that mark them? What kind of people would they be in the world? We can anticipate future grace because all we know of God in the past and all we know of God in the present is full of grace. 
So why not begin to anticipate grace in the future? Work this out in community too. If you want to love each other well, some of you need to tell your neighbors, you, you need to stop complaining. You complain a lot. I hear for every one word of gratitude, I hear like 100 words of complaint. I want to challenge you to change that. To look at what God has done. Let me help you start naming some of the things I've seen God doing in your life that you have to be grateful for. Boom, 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 boom. So that teaches us to start looking for grace in one another's lives and to help one another to look for grace in our own lives. Reasons to be thankful. We need to help one another out of these bad practices of grumbling. And if someone just comes up and the first thing they start doing is just laying out all their grumbling, listen. And then maybe your word of encouragement is, yeah, I know it feels stressful and frustrating right now, but I think you have far more cause for gratitude than, than complaint right now. Let me tell you what I see in your life that I'm encouraged about as I look at your life. Just love one another in this hard way. I know, I know, we're all looking for an outlet. This doesn't mean you can't lay your cares out to one another. But there's a point at which it moves from sharing to grumbling. And there's a point at which we become enablers for one another in the grumbling life. How can you expect to, expect to cultivate a life of joy if you don't kill the grumbling heart? You won't. Finally, I'm going to say this. One of the most powerful ways that we bear witness in the world right now, in a grumbling, entitled world, is to, is to be a grateful people, is to resist grumbling. I'm not just saying, stop it, stop it. What I'm saying is trace that grumbling voice inside back to its origin and, and be compassionate on the inner grumbler. Say, where do you come from? Why are you? Can I, can I direct your attention in this way? Look at all that goodness. You see that? Maybe we could dial it down a bit with the grumbling. What if you just did that to the inner grumbling voice? What's the inner grumbling voice going to say? I just want to be mad. I just want to be resentful. I just want to be angry. It's, I know, I know. I understand. But what if you could be different. What if, what if the inner voice could be, what if the inner voice welling up was, think about how much good God has planned for you today. Think about how much mercy God has stored up for you today. Think about all the amazing things he's going to do for you today and through you today. Think about the joy that is yours today. Think about what it could be like. I imagine that it could be a pretty revolutionary shift in your life right now. And it could be a pretty revolutionary shift in your family life. Spouses, get with one another on this. Get with one another on this. And if you got a grumbling spouse, if you got a grumbling roommate, first thing you can do is pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for the vision to see. But also pray for grace for change. This is our heritage, that we belong to the Lord and that we are in his care. And the story of Israel is giving us access to see God's goodness to his people. Let us live in that goodness and bear witness to the world that there is hope and provision and grace in the Lord. Amen. Let's pray.
Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.